0: A reading from the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb, while it was still dark, and saw the stone already removed from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples left, the disciple left, and they were going and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter. And came to the tomb first. And he stooped to look in. And saw the linen wrappings laying there. However, he did not go in. So Simon Peter came also following him. And he entered the tomb. And he looked at the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but folded up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered then, and he saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went away on to their homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. So as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' She said to them, "'Because they have taken away my Lord, "'and I do not know where they put him.'" When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and yet did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping? "'Whom are you seeking?' Thinking that he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: He is risen indeed let's open up in prayer. Father, we come before you on this glorious morning to come to the and meet Christ. We have met Christ. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us your word. Empower our hearts to hear your word and to do it through Jesus Christ. Amen. So before I actually start the the sermon, uh, I did want to kind of talk a little bit about just Easter time if you're from a uh, from certain denominations, uh, mostly evangelical meaning or what I would call Christian light, then you're used to Easter being one day it's a one day celebration it's usually bigger than the other days and then uh, you go back to every Sunday as normal that's not what we actually celebrate that's not actually how we celebrate in the church calendar so if you, uh, uh, Easter time is, is seven weeks, there are seven Sundays in Easter time, it's Easter all the way until Pentecost. And so we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord for seven Sundays, specifically. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord every Sunday, but specifically today on Easter and for the following six Sundays so, if you see these decorations up for seven more weeks it 's not because we 're lazy it's not it's not because uh uh we're we're getting around to cleaning it up it 's because we are going to continue to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and I would just uh commend you if you weren't able i wasn't able to listen to all of catherine's uh teaching this morning but if you can listen to it on the podcast or on our website or on YouTube, go back and listen to it about how the Lord has designed a, a, a calendar for people to worship where there's a body of people centered around certain holidays and, and festivals. And it's how we order our worship. It's how we order our life. It's, there's a, a clear danger in becoming too programmatic and only saying we're celebrating these things and, and you're only celebrating Easter in, in outward appearance and you're not celebrating Easter inwardly. There's a clear danger to that. But there's also a danger in just saying it doesn't really mean a whole lot, so why do it special? Why why uh, hype it up? And so uh, we have the church calendar passed down to us from, from the early church fathers that follows the life of Christ. And so I also want to just give a, a seven week, you got seven weeks to, to prepare that on Pentecost, uh, we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit and the gospel going out to all nations. And so we, as, a, as GCF celebrates, wear, a, wear a, an international guard wear clothes from either the nation you 're from, if it 's not America, uh, or wear you know clothes from another nation. I only have uh, Indian clothes and American clothes, or, and so I choose Indian. Uh, but we celebrate that way. So if you don't have anything, you got seven weeks to prepare. And so um, as, we're, as we're celebrating Easter this morning, in the life of Christ, if, you're, if you don't come from a rich tradition of liturgy, or if you're new to Christ, we have, and you come into uh, GCF or other churches, and, and we say, we say, he is risen. And the response is, he is risen, he is risen indeed, Right? and isn't he right that's what we celebrate this morning that christ has actually risen from the dead that it's not a myth it's it's not a it wasn't a hoax it wasn't just something that brings up warm feelings in us it wasn't a story to to sway our emotions or our actions in a in a certain way it wasn't provoked it wasn't designed to provoke uh, sentimental feelings because there's no real power in that. There's no real power in, in, in stories that aren't based in reality, that aren't based in truth. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that verses 15 or 17 through 19, if you want to follow along. He says that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or, or have died in Christ have perished. But if in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And so scripture makes it abundantly clear that if Jesus didn't really die, if he didn't really raise from the grave, what we do is worthless. What we believe doesn't mean anything. There's no purpose to it. It doesn't matter if it brings sentimental feelings or if it brings us into what we think is a godlier life if he wasn't really raised from the dead. It doesn't have any real power. It doesn't mean anything to us. I, I, if it wasn't if it wasn't true that Jesus raised from the dead, I could sleep in, and I don't have a, a out of seven days a week I get to sleep in zero days a week, and maybe I could sleep in one. Uh, but and our and our faith would be futile. We would still be dead in our sins. Atonement wouldn't mean a thing if there wasn't really a God if there wasn't really a moral god then it then our morality would mean nothing we would wake up early on sunday morning we would sing songs and we'd come and worship and it wouldn't mean a thing in the end and there wouldn't be any real power but paul ends that statement in 1st corinthians but he says but in fact christ has been risen from the dead it's a fact it's a part of reality it's you could go out and see that in in the whole world and so it's if if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we wouldn't have real power to fight our sin. We wouldn't have real power to love in real ways. There wouldn't be any real power. We wouldn't see it, right, if there wasn't really resurrection power. And so it's not just the first century disciples that were witnesses to Christ rising, right? We... In our scripture reading this morning, we read about Mary Magdalene and and the disciples who ran to the tomb and who witnessed Jesus' resurrection. And through 40 days, uh, he appeared to the disciples, uh, up to uh, at least 500 of them, that that they were actual witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. But it's not just them who are witnesses. It's us who are witnesses of that. Those who crucify the passions of their flesh and live a new life in the Spirit are witnesses just as much, if not more, of the first century apostles. And Jesus even says that in John 20, 29, that blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In a particular way, Jesus says that we're more blessed than the apostle Peter, than the apostle Paul, than all the other apostles, because we weren't there and we still believed. And so we have the same power, the same Holy Spirit that led them, leads us today. And so this is what we've been looking at in our normal series, or I should say our semi-normal series, through the book of Acts. We look at the whole book of Acts through the lens of Acts 1-8 that says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, if he didn't really say that, it means nothing. His promise to to receive power from the Holy Spirit would mean nothing. It really wouldn't. And we're wasting our time. But he did promise that. He said, You will receive power. He didn't say you might receive power. Maybe if you try hard enough, you'll receive power he said you will receive power that is a promise and you will be my witnesses there's no option about it you can't live a a christian life you can't profess to be a christian and not live a life that's filled with power not live a life that is being a witness to christ it, it they they don't they don't mix that you can't not have power and not be a witness to christ and be a a christian you're uh those are the promises. And so, particularly if Jesus was not actually raised from the dead, that promise in Scripture means nothing. We have nothing to hope for. We have no real power to look to. And so, what happens is oftentimes, as, as, even as, as Christians, we tend to associate with the, the stories and maybe, um, you know, like, like movies or, or stories that we love uh, more than we do. With scripture, and some of those are sometimes based in reality and sometimes leading in the right direction, and, and sometimes they're not. Um, but usually in, in the, uh, usually in, in movies or stories, there's a, there's a hero character, mostly in guy movies, there's a hero character, and he becomes the hero, and he becomes center stage, and what he does becomes evident to all people. And everybody knows it. And the story kind of wraps up to a close and everybody sees the hero. But that's not exactly how Christ was raised from the dead. He appears to Mary Magdalene, who we get a couple of glimpses of scripture and um, we see that it's noted that, hey, she had seven demons. Who does Jesus appear to first? The lady that had seven demons. <laughs> that's a good choice. Right? And then if you... Notice in the scripture reading that we read in John, uh, that Mary Magdalene's there first, and then the disciples come in, they look in, they're like, well, this is weird. And then they go home, Mary Magdalene is staying there weeping, and it's Mary Magdalene who gets to see Christ first resurrected. And this isn't, you can't, uh, you can draw this out of the scripture, it's it's more of a, a church tradition Some people think that the the prostitute in Luke 7 who was weeping at Jesus' feet uh, and cleaning his his feet with her tears at the Pharisee's house, a lot of um, theologians would associate that with Mary Magdalene. There's there's no real proof or it's not guaranteed in Scripture that 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 is Mary Magdalene, but a lot of people uh, uh, believe that. And so um, everywhere that the apostles planted churches, Everywhere they evangelized, everywhere they preached, they preached the resurrection of Christ. That was the hinge point of everything. If he wasn't really resurrected, it doesn't mean anything. Because he actually did it. And so some places, like Acts 17, it says when he's in the Areopagus and he's in, uh, in Athens, Paul is preaching. And they just mock him. They say, that's ridiculous. right? They, uh, the Jews would persecute him. The, the Romans would, would just find it ridiculous, and they'd just mock him. But in God's infinite wisdom, power, strength, and knowledge, he destined us to preach a message, to receive a message, and then to preach a message that is a stumbling block to some, folly to others, and salvation and life and power to those who receive it. And so some people, and here in hearing the gospel and the, the story of Christ and that our sins were atoned for and he was resurrected, uh, it just doesn't make sense. They think it's folly. They they think it's stupid. They might say something like, "That's dumb. Why would God die? Why would God become a man? He's God. That's stupid, right?" They would think it's folly. They just can't wrap their head around it. Other others don't get it, and, and or can't get behind it. They think it's a it's a stumbling block. I can't worship a God who would die. I can't worship a God who, uh, who would forgive sins, who would be gracious and forgiving. There's really are people I've talked to who can't wrap their head around and would never worship a God who forgives sins. They would think it's not just. They would think uh, uh, that's unfair. There are some people, it's a stumbling block that they would say that they can't uh, worship a God who chooses some and not others. They think that's a stumbling block. But 1 Corinthians one twenty four says, But to those who are called, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. To those who receive the message, they get resurrection power. They get Christ, the power of God. And so... Um, so when Christ was resurrected, we want to look at, at the power, the resurrection power that we get. It's not the power, like I said, that we usually see in the movies where the hero shows up, that everybody knows it, and, and uh, the story is over. When Christ was resurrected, a few people saw it. He was resurrected in glory, and he chose that he showed himself to a very small amount of people. He was raised in glory. He was raised in power, uh, and in, in certain ways that everybody did know it, and in certain ways everybody will know it, but his glory, in, in descending glory, in cascading glory, it gets as Christ descends and condescends to man, his glory increases. As he reveals himself in one small little town, little corner of the earth as resurrected, his glory actually increases. And so... And there are um, public displays of manifest power. There are clearly public displays in Christ, in healings, miracles, casting out demons. There are public displays of power. That should be normal. That should be more normal. The apostles make a public dis- display of casting out demons, miracles, healings. There are those, right? I'm not saying that that uh, in Christ's risen glory, that, that we don't see those anymore, we should see those, and we ought to see those things in the same manner. But for the for, for the most part of our Christian life, our lives, we are steadily, daily tapping into the power of God. That is what the Christian life is about. You should see periods of times where where there's demons getting cast out, there's people getting healed, there's there's manifest signs of the Spirit. Right. I was just thinking about this uh throughout the week i mean what would the news we've heard about Anne Moante uh getting better is is amazing yeah. that's that's incredible and praise god and and if you can remember back to the just the 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 miraculous healing and wisdom to if you remember benjamin hager when he was a kid yep. so he would get a feeding tube and that wasn't natural that wasn't uh wasn't even medically advisable um but the Lord did it. The Lord directed it. And so you should see signs of the Spirit. You should see signs and manifestations of power in miraculous ways. Um, and But for most of our Christian lives, we should see daily tapping in to the power of God. On a, on a daily basis, crucifying our flesh and walking according to the Spirit. One of my favorite verses comes from uh, Galatians 2.20. This is a good one to memorize. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's what we're we're getting at. And what Paul's getting at is in the title of this sermon comes from Philippians 3:8, but uh, which we'll get to here in a minute. But I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That's the power of God. That's what it looks like on a daily basis that I crucify my own passions, I crucify my own desires, and I live for Christ. And it's steadily not me living, but Christ living through me. And we do this according to faith, it says. Now, the life in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. And so Philippians 3 8 through 10 has the same sentiment. It says, this, it says a lot of the same things. This is Paul speaking, saying, "Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the sur- surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord." Paul, if you guys know the uh, Paul's accolades that he was moving for, he was in a society where he was moving up in the religious system. He would have he would have been. Uh, more widely known and, and famous in his day, and he was moving in that culture towards success. He was moving towards getting his name known. He was moving towards being somebody. And he says, it's all loss. Everything I did before Christ was worthless. Everything I did before Christ was only to lead me to Christ because of the surpassing worth of knowing him of knowing Christ Jesus, my word. The worth comes from knowing him, being intimate with him, being close to him. It's not, I count these, everything's as lost because I found a really cool religious system and and it keeps me on the straight and narrow and keeps me mostly out of trouble, mostly. And he doesn't say that. It's, I've lost it all to know Christ. And he continues, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Again, he had to leave everything. All his life before Christ was worthless, didn't mean anything, and it was only for the purpose of leading him to Christ so that he would know him, that he would be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is what we would Uh, This is what theologians would call Christ's imputed righteousness. That it wasn't out of works of the law. I didn't work up my own salvation. I didn't do something that merited God to save me. All I did was believe. And all the righteous works that Christ did were given to me, were imputed to me. So when God sees me, he doesn't see me, he sees Christ. And all of my works, all of my sin, was put on the cross, when Christ was on the cross, the Father saw, not just his Son, but he saw our sins, those who believe in Christ. That's what the, all of, all of Christ's righteousness was imputed to me, and all of my sin was imputed to him. By faith, right? John 6, 29, Jesus says the same thing. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Right? It's based on, it's based on faith, it's based on trust. And Paul continues, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He doesn't say that I may know him, and I hope to get a little bit better. But he says that I may know him and experience the power of his resurrection. There should be power. You should be daily tapping into the power of God, particularly to crucify your flesh. But he continues, and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And so so we as Christians don't just mentally ascribe to a list of theological terms and ideas. We ascribe that we're going to get real power. We should be experiencing it. You should be able to, you have an opportunity now in Christ through faith after you receive His grace and mercy, to crucify your sin, to crucify your flesh, to live a new way of life, right? And so when He says that I would know Him and the power of His resurrection, you should be asking yourself: Power for what? What, what do you? What power? Right? If we're in Christ, we should be seeing the power of His resurrection. Second uh, Corinthians three talks about being changed from glory to glory, from one from as in we, uh, the life of, of 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 a Christian is by faith. It's for faith. It's every day by faith, and that we would be changed from one glory to the next glory. Later in I believe it's Second Corinthians, uh, he talks about becoming a new creation. We should, after receiving Christ, whether that was when we we're four, five, six, seven, eight years old, or if it's for some of us later in life, we should see that we are a new creation. There should be real power in that. The, when, when John 3, when Jesus is talking about the new birth, and we use that terminology that we're a born-again Christian, that is to say you get a new birth after being put to death. He doesn't directly mention that in his, in his parable in John 3. But we should understand that the new birth comes out of resurrection, out of death, that we are given life, that the life we live before Christ, any life outside of Christ, is a life of death. It's it's a life um, of frustration. It's it's a life of from one degree of death to another degree of death. But in Christ, it's life to life, glory to glory. And it's it's a resurrection that we go through. And so, I, I personally just can't stand it when when men have pornography problems for years. Temptation, to be clear, temptation is no sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to fall into temptation. It's a sin to seek out temptation. It's a sin uh, to uh, enjoy the temptation. Right? But I can't stand it when it's, it's such a culture of, uh, in America and it's infected Christianity that men actually struggle with this for years. It takes them sometimes years to put it to death. And so I can't stand it when, when men treat their wives and their children poorly for years. When they're harsh with their wives, when they're overbearing with their children. I can't stand to see that going on for years. I can't stand it when, uh, when women submit to their fears for years, submit to anxiety for years. It makes you think, makes me think, personally, where's the power? Where's the resurrection power? Where's the being changed from glory to glory? Now, some people do. I understand that the Christian life doesn't just look like this on a graph of sanctification. Uh, if it did, then, then I've got problems. Uh, my Christian life does not look like that, and, and there's ups and downs, and, and we're not perfect in Christ, that we're going to be perfectly sanctified and never sin again. That's not what the Bible preaches. That's, that's not what we preach. But there should be a progressive sanctification. There should be uh, actually being changed from glory to glory. There actually should be uh, a... You should be able to look about a year down the road, every year every year to, let's say, five years, you should be able to look back and say, yeah, I really was changed. I really am being changed into a new creation. I really am living with the power of Christ's resurrection. I really am crucifying the deeds of the flesh. I really am living life according to the Spirit. I really am encountering Christ. I'm seeing power. Now, uh, just like when Christ was resurrected in in power. It's it's cascading. It's it's going downwards. And so, I I'd, honestly, if I looked at my life on a daily basis, and I could say, yesterday, man, I didn't really see it. Uh, it was a rough day. I got frustrated. Uh, you know, if you look on a day to day basis, you're just practically not going to see it, right? It's harder to look under microscope and see the change, but. When you look over the progress of a year or two years, you should be seeing that you are living in, from one glory to a glory, being changed. You should be able to look back and say, yeah, the Lord brought me from here to here. I overcame this addiction. I overcame this mentality. I overcame this. And so Galatians 5 lists what the deeds of the flesh are. If you just wanted a systematic, you're like, okay, well, I get that. There's... Uh, I got to crucify the flesh. Good. Whatever that means, I'll do it. Well, the Bible tells us what it means. You don't have to wonder. Galatians 5 talks about it and just gives a, a list of some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Can you look back over the last year and say, I am putting to deeds strife now we live in the world and strife can come to you and you can bring strife to others so uh, this is uh, i think it's one of the uh, epistles to timothy it says that live at peace with all men as much as you are able and so as much as i'm able i could live at peace with all men and not bring strife and they might bring it to me but that's my decision how to respond right? Strife, enmity, jealousy, fits of anger, right? That kind of goes with the sensuality and the passions. Are you being driven by your passions? Are you being driven by your flesh? Is it mastering you or are you mastering it through Christ? Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, right? I see that as when Paul's writing, he's writing to the body of Christ, do we live as a community of people that could be, say that there's no divisions, there's no envy uh, against any one of us, there's no, there's no dissensions, right? That's how we're called to live. Drunkenness, orgies, and that says, then if that wasn't a good enough list for you, then Paul leaves it with, and things like that, and there's a lot more, that's not it, Right? He says there's a lot more about crucifying the flesh, about what the deeds of the flesh, flesh is. And so he commends them to then walk according to the Spirit, tap, tap into the power of the resurrection, because there really is power. That's what should be dictating our lives in Christ, is that we are crucifying these things. We are putting them to death. We are living uh, a life led by the Spirit, not led by our flesh. And so Greg is going to come up and do the uh, call to the table, I think. Uh, I think Anvesh is getting him. And, but I want us to just be reminded here on Easter that we have real access to real power. Scripture says that God the Father and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and also says that Jesus, by his own power, raised himself from the dead. And I think that one's the most peculiar to me because you think, how does someone who is dead in his own power raise him, his own self to life? I've never seen that. Well, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead, but never seen anybody raise themselves from the dead. And so, so God's not stingy with his love. He's not stingy with his grace. He's not stingy with his mercy, and he's not stingy with his power. We don't worship a God that says, when you complete this step, Then I'll pour out my spirit on you. Then I'll give you grace, work a little bit harder, and then you'll get the reward. In Christ, it was all nailed to the cross. All of your deeds were were done. God doesn't see you as a a worthless, uh, sinful individual. He sees you in Christ. And so um, I kind of leave us with the, I think it's the bridge, lyrics from Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Which say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so, out of your own power, out of your own striving, you're never going to crucify your deeds. You're never going to experience newness of life. You get that when you come face to face with Christ. The closer you journey to, to Christ, to be in his presence, to be near to him, the passions and your desires, the things of this world will really drift away. They will really you'll really experience power, and the closer you see Christ, the closer you meet him face to face, those things will grow strangely dim and so so let's bring Greg up here for or call to the table. All
2: right, I'm actually uh, taking the communion meditation from Chad Bird's book that some of you are reading, Uh, and he calls this chapter Bread of the Face, because if if you look at um, what's called dynamic equivalence translations or literal translations that will always have a note um, that when... uh, when it talks about the presence uh, of the Lord in Exodus and so forth, the, the literal word actually means face. Because obviously, I can't speak face-to-face with John Luke without being in his presence, right? Except by video these days. <laughs> they didn't have that, uh, God had that technology, I guess, but we didn't. All right, so is this working? All right, so in Exodus twenty-five twenty-three, it says, "You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, and a cubit is about eighteen inches, so that would have been a thirty-six inch wide table, not quite as wide as this podium. In uh, a cubit and a half for its height, which means it would have been." Um, about two feet tall, about 27 inches tall, probably. Uh, and you shall set the bread of the presence, or the bread of the face, on the table before me regularly. Bread is uh, an elemental food stable uh, of, of the Hebrews, and frankly, of almost every culture. Um, uh, weed-oriented cultures... Uh, Bread is usually the basic thing of their diet, and, uh, except if it's a rice oriented culture, then rice is. Uh, Israelites would have found the petition, Give us this day our daily bread, perfectly fitting to their needs and lifestyle. Uh, as his people had bread in their tents, so God had bread on his table inside his tent. Older translations called this the show bread. Uh, it uh, literally means the bread of the face. When we're in front of someone's face, we're in their presence, as we can point it out. That bread being in front of God's face was holy. Every Sabbath, the 12 loaves were eaten by the priests as representatives of the 12 tribes and replaced with a dozen more. They consumed bread suffused with the holy presence of God. They ingested sanctification. The Lord used many meals in Israel's history as the backdrop, or the hors d'oeuvres, if you will, uh, for the meal of meals that he has given to his church. We now gather around God's table to eat the bread filled with the presence of Christ. Take, eat, this is my body, the Messiah says in Matthew twenty six twenty six. We ingest his holiness, and he ends with a prayer Heavenly Father, give us this day and every day the bread of, of life, Jesus our Savior. Now, unfortunately, um, as, as part of the Reformation, uh, what, what actually goes on when Jesus said, Take, eat, this is my body, uh, it became a subject of great debate and great fighting. And uh, I once visited a a Lutheran church. Uh, I was there because uh, my wife and I were kind of reaching out to a a lady whose husband had left her for another woman, and she was kind of hurting, and uh, uh, she was a relative of one of ours. And so we spent a weekend with her and just trying to bless her. And when we, we went to her Lutheran church on Sunday, the pastor made a point of talking to us for a while before before church, and then made it clear that we were not welcome at communion because we didn't have the right uh, idea about what exactly happens uh, when this becomes his body and this becomes his blood. It has been the position of Grace Christian Fellowship from the beginning that uh, we're not indifferent to those kind of issues, but we're, we're very much not gonna fight about those kind of issues. So whether you believe it becomes chemically the body of Christ or spiritually infused with the presence of Christ, um, what it really is is a covenant meal to express our partaking of the life of Christ. And uh, none of us uh, have anything apart from the Lord. Uh, If, you know... You, you hear people, you go to churches, and you hear people tell their testimony, and I've been searching for truth for the longest time, and last night I found the Lord, and I want to stand up and go, liar. Uh, the truth is that the Bible actually reveals very clearly the part of what sin is, and every one of us have been uh, captured by and infected by sin. Sin, if you remember, the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they sinned, is they try to cover their own nakedness rather than God covering it. Uh, And they try, uh, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And uh, one of the things that really helped me, uh, probably took a year or two after I became a Christian at age 17 uh, to really get this uh, to, to some degree, not that we ever get anything totally, um, you know, we, knew, we know truth accurately, but we don't know it exhaustively or comprehensively, was the truth is we are all running from God. And God, by his grace, draws us to himself and changes our heart to want to know him and seek him and, and so forth. And, uh, and that, that's so important because he is the author and the initiator of life, but he's the author and the initiator of our salvation. None of us would be Christians today. There's, none of us have any merit or anything to, to be proud of. Uh, we, we were drawn to God by the grace of God. And we are drawn to God by the, despite of ourselves. And so he didn't, he, we didn't find him. He found us and uh And worked in our way, life in such a way that in some the- theologies they call it irresistible grace. He didn't just uh, give us life, he made us willing to believe um, you know so uh as we as we eat this covenant meal this morning uh there's there's no better day to, to eat it as than Easter because um Resurrection life started from him, and, his, and you've been infused with it. Uh, and he's the author of all covenantal things. If you, if, you, know, if you ever went through uh, my old Right State teachings on covenant, and we, we talk about a dozen different things that every covenant has, one uh, thing that every covenant has is um, ceremonies of enactment, and ceremonies of renewal or reenactment. And so the Lord has actually given us the, the ceremony of communion or the Lord's Supper to, to renew the covenant with Christ and to, to take of his life again. So come and let us take of Christ.